All right, so we're going we're gonna to dive back into this, and we're going to talk about our, uh, the, 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 the job that God has called us to, and that is helping people become Christians. So we're going to dive into the Scriptures tonight, and we're going to talk about being a light to the world, helping people know God. Uh, yes, um, the Bible teaches us that we are, the, we are the tool that God uses to help other people. Listen to Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus goes as far as to say that we are the lights. That is your role in helping other people know about God. As you and I, we are the light. My family and I went on vacation last year up in the mountains in New York. And if you've never been up in the mountains in New York, it's awesome. It's beautiful. And so we went way upstate New York. And I remember at nighttime, it was so dark, right? And we would go out and we would sit. And I would look up at the stars. Because it was so dark... The stars were so bright. And there's something about bright stars that just like, they just, it's hard not to stare at them. I mean, I would just sort of sit in my chair and prop myself back and I would look up at the stars and just stare at them. And there's something about light shining in darkness that gets your attention. I would sit there and I'd even pray. I'd say, God, please, could I see a shooting star go by? And then sure enough, Bam! Shooting star went by. I was like, yes! That's awesome! Can I see another one? <laughs> and God's like, well, hold on, man. Alright, let's not push your luck there, buddy. Alright. But God, uh, but, but it's just something amazing about looking up in the sky and seeing the bright light. Light attracts people. And that's who we are. We are the light. That's what Jesus called us. God uses people to help people. I want you to think for a second. Raise your hand if... When you became a Christian, some person helped you. Raise your hand. All right, good, awesome. Keep your hand up, all right? Somebody, you know, we know God is the one who saves us. But did a person, did God use a person? Good, all right, keep your hand up if that person is in the room right now. Go ahead and look around. Go ahead and look around. All right, let's, let's hear a couple of the names, all right? We'll start right here. Ashton, who? Steve Ravel. Where's Steve Ravel? You sure he's in the room? <laughs> Alright, he's supposed to be in the room. Oh, Patrick! Alright, well, we're going to change it to Patrick. Patrick, too. Alright, yes, who? Alec, say that again. Okay, yes, that person. She's in the room. She's in the room. Alexandra, you said. I just said to get the last name. Go ahead, yes. Who? Peter. Peter, right there, Martinez? That Peter? Alright, good, yes. Who? In the back, that person. I can't hear you. Alright. Yes, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Where's Judy? Where is she? Right there. There's Judy. Yes, go ahead. Iris, right? Yes. Yeah, that's who you're pointing to. Okay, good. Very good. Yes. Did you have your hand up, Marla? Okay, alright, good. Anybody else? In the way back, in the pink shirt, yes. 
Okay, I did not hear what you said. Can you point? You guys heard it. All right, that's awesome. Okay, we'll take one more. Yes. Yes, right over there. Yeah. Paula Hidalgo. She's right there. So, okay, one more. Yes, this is the best one right here. This person. Yes, please tell us. Who is that? Andrew and Jordan? Where's Andrew? Oh, it's your daughter. Oh, right there. Very good. Awesome. So my, that's inspiring, isn't it? Even though I couldn't hear it and I totally slaughtered everybody's names. It's still inspiring to think about how God uses us to save people's souls. That's the point. God could do it any way he wants. God could take out ads on the Super Bowl if that's how he wanted to do it. God could get a blimp to fly over New York City to get the word out if that's how he wanted to do it. But God chose to save people's souls and then turn around and use those saved people to save other people. That's amazing. That's inspiring. And there's nothing more awesome than getting to be the person that God uses to help somebody to be a Christian. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So the question for us tonight is, are you being the light? Are you going to be the light? It's what you are. Are you going to let it shine? Don't put it under a bushel. No. We're going to let our little light shine. Yes, listen, it is a dark world out there. Just turn on the news and watch the news for like seven seconds. All right, there is so much hatred and anger and revenge and bitterness and racism and all sorts of garbage out there that if you just decide to be like Jesus, to be full of love and caring and compassion and acceptance and and understanding, you're going to shine because it's so dark. You don't even have to be that good at it. But man, God will use you. God uses us as instruments to help other people. So what's your point, Phil? Are we trying to have a membership drive? No. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the very commands of God here. We're talking about how God has commanded us to help people. Of course, we know Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Right? That's just a command. That's not optional. That's not something we should, you know, maybe think about. Maybe. No, that's what we do. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. We represent Christ like an ambassador. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16 just says, preach the gospel to all creation. I mean, again, another command. Mark chapter 1, Jesus took a bunch of fishermen and said to them, you're going to now be fishers of men. It was a play on words. He's saying, listen, I know you did one thing with your life, but now you're going to have a new purpose in your life. And that purpose is going to be, I'm going to use you to help other people. So no, we're not talking about a membership drive. We're not trying to raise our membership. We're trying to save souls. We're trying to be used by God. But Phil, I'm new here. I just became a Christian. I barely know anything myself. Listen, God uses anybody. God can use anybody. Jesus used a child as a visual aid to teach about the kingdom of God. He used a child. He can use you. The Bible teaches us that God used a big fish to help Jonah. If God can use a fish, He can use you. 
The Bible talks about how God used a donkey in the Old Testament to get Balaam's attention. The donkey spoke. If God can use a donkey, guess who else he can use? You and me. Yes, he can use us. God used a servant girl to challenge Naaman the warrior who was too prideful to go and dip himself in the Jordan River. And then he listened and he was healed. God can use anybody. So to say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Listen, if God has changed you, you do have something to share. You've got something you can share. You may not know all the Bible verses. That comes in time. That comes with Bible study. But God can still use you and He can still use me. But Phil, I'm just scared. I'm afraid. Listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is action in spite of fear. If you're afraid to let God use you, good. Because now it's an opportunity for you to be courageous. If you're not a little bit afraid, if you're not afraid, if you do something and you have no fear, then there was no courage involved, right? No, good for you. I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you weren't afraid. Great. But if you're a little bit afraid or if you're a lot afraid and you push through that, that is the definition of courage. And that is a demonstration of faith. People will misunderstand you. People may even mock you. People may even laugh at you. It happened to Jesus. But Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. What, Jesus? Yes, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I win. I beat the world. You know, people ask me sometimes, they're like, do you believe in ghosts? Right? Do you believe in ghosts? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I mean, I definitely believe in the spiritual realm. The Bible is very clear that there's a spiritual realm out there. Like if you could rip away this physical realm, there's, a, there's spiritual beings and powers and authorities. There are things out there. But here's the one thing I know about it. Can a ghost, you know, can one of those spirits get stuck in an old building, like, and he can't get out, and he's, I have no idea. I don't know. Some people say yes, some, I don't know. But here's the one thing I know. God won. Jesus overcame. When Jesus came into a scenario, demons freaked out. They freaked out. They jumped into pigs and ran off and killed, you know, that's what, and guess whose team I'm on? Jesus. So are there ghosts? I have no idea. But I don't care because guess whose team I'm on? I'm on Jesus' team. Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. But Phil, I just don't know how to be a light. Well, you are in luck. Because tonight I want to look at a couple incidences with Jesus where he changed people's lives and give us some practical ways that we can help people and change the lives of people around us. Jesus was a friend to many different types of people. Jesus didn't just reach out to one type of person. Jesus reached out to many people. He impacted many type of people. Let's look at a couple here in the Bible. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. John 3 verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. One of the people that Jesus was able to reach out to was the religious. Jesus was a friend of many people, but here you see Jesus being a friend to religious people. If we're going to be the light, we're going to have to be able to talk to religious people. When I moved to Brooklyn, somebody sent me some statistics about Brooklyn. They'd done some research, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they said Brooklyn is one of the most religious areas in, I think, all of New York City. And by that, it's specifically meaning all the churches Now, I used to live in the South a long time ago. It's hard to beat the South for religiousness, right? You go down South, you drive down any road in Southern USA, and there are literally like churches on every single corner. But actually, in Brooklyn, it's not that different. There's a lot of people who are religious here, but there is a big difference between being religious and being righteous. Just because you, someone might be religious does not mean they are right with God. Listen, there is no amount of religious activity that will earn you heaven. Zero. There will never be a point that you go to church enough that God says, Oh, well, I owe her heaven now. All right. You've earned it. All right. Uh, you got it. You got me. You got me. Come on in. I owe this to you. No. There's not any amount of religious activity that will ever cause you and I to be right with God. Now, of course, we have to do things. We have to obey. We have to have faith. We have to repent. We have to be baptized. You know, we know all those things to come into a relationship with God. But you are made right with God, not because you obey. You're made right with God because God makes you right with God. 
He does it through the blood of Jesus. So even with all our religious activity, that's not what makes us right with God. We have to be righteous men and women. Sometimes we assume that religious people have it all together. You know, we see somebody, they come, maybe they come to church or maybe you work with them or you see them at school or something, and they're a good person. You know, they seem to know some of the Bible, you know. Maybe they always go to church, right? They always seem happy. Listen, Jesus was not intimidated by religious people. Jesus saw through the religiousness of this guy. This guy was a religious leader. He saw through that and understood this guy had a deeper need for God. You know, sometimes religious people are sometimes the weirdest people, right? And I'm, I'm telling you that as one person who grew up religious my whole life, all right? I'm talking about me. I mean, sometimes as religious people, we can get weird. I remember as a single brother, before we were married, I was in the Westchester ministry. We were having a, a singles party and we had a dance, you know, and the music was going and we were, you know, doing my thing, you know, you know, you know, I was like, you know, and there was a guy that was visiting for the first time and he was a very religious guy, very religious, right? And I saw him standing in the corner by himself over by the food and I felt bad for him because we're all, you know, kind of having a good time and he's clearly feeling awkward and uncomfortable, whatever. So I thought, well, I'll go and include him in. So I walked over to him and I was like, hey man, what's up? He's like, and I said, I said, so just trying to be conversational, I said, so you a good dancer? And he looked at me without flinching and he, and he said, no one is good, but God alone. I thought, all right, I see why you're over here in the corner by yourself. All right. So I went back to dancing. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes religious people, though they may put up a good front, they're the most needy people. They're hiding behind their religiousness. Jesus was not intimidated or scared or blindsided by this religious man. This religious man came to him. Jesus was a friend to religious people. How? How was Jesus a friend? Well, he did one thing. He spoke the truth to this guy. In fact, in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 11, three times, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This guy was just looking for casual conversation, right? He came up to Jesus at nighttime. Which implies maybe, you know, you know, wasn't, you know, a little embarrassed. Maybe didn't want anybody to see him with Jesus. Came up to Jesus. Maybe that's why he came. Maybe he just worked late. I don't know. But he came up to Jesus at nighttime and he says, hey, good teacher. What's up? We know you're a good guy. And Jesus wasn't like, ah, oh, thanks, man. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Boom. Yeah, come on. No, Jesus said, hey, man, let's talk. I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you're not going to go to heaven. Whoa, 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 what? What? And the guy's like, well, how does that work? I mean, you know, you, you can't be born again. Come on, man. And Jesus is like, you got to be born of spirit and water. I tell you the truth. This guy was looking for just, you know, sort of casual conversation. And Jesus dove right in and spoke the truth. That's how you be a friend to a religious person. Just speak the truth. You just speak the truth. You just say, hey, no, that's not how it works. That's not what God, that's not what the Bible says. You know, that's not what the scriptures teach. You just speak the truth. That doesn't mean that you meet someone for the first time. You're like, hey, my name's Bob. Yeah. Have you been baptized? Because the Bible teaches, you know, you don't have to, that's not what we're, we're saying that at some point in your relationship with this person, 
You can't be afraid to open up the Bible and speak the truth. That's how Jesus was a friend to the religious. We have to speak the truth. Does that mean we can be condescending or self-righteous or judgmental? No, of course not. In fact, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. So Jesus came to this earth full of truth but also full of grace. The moment you find yourself using truth to be self-righteous over people is the moment you are in need. Is the moment that you become the religious person. It's the moment you need someone to speak truth to you. Yes, we've got to speak truth, but we've got to do it with grace. We've got to do it with love. We've got to do it with kindness. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Some of us lean more on the grace side. Well, I just want to love them, but I don't really want to tell them what the Bible says. All right, that's not like Jesus. Some people, some of us lean on the other side. Well, I'm going to tell them. Oh, I'm going to tell them. Oh, I'm going to tell them. Hey, where's the grace? Oh yeah, I love you too. No, no, that, you can't just throw in an I love you while you're kicking somebody down and think that's grace. No, you got to be like Jesus, full, full of both grace and truth. How was Jesus a friend to the religious? He spoke the truth. That's what he did. Look at chapter 4 now. Beginning in verse 4. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of, it, uh, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back one more, once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his, sons, his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give in him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. It's a trick question. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus was not only the friend of the religious, but Jesus was the friend of the rejected. Now to appreciate this interaction, and this is an amazing interaction, but to appreciate this, you got to know a little social history here of what was going on. The 12 tribes of Judah split in the Old Testament. They became the northern, 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. Eventually, because the 10 northern tribes were disobedient to God, God allowed a foreign army to come in and capture most of them, take them away. And But everybody else was sort of just, just left. And the people, the Jews that were left, intermarried with various people. And they became sort of a mixed race. They weren't pure Jews. They were mixed with all the people that were around there and that moved in. And they became known known as the Samaritans. And that's why during this time, Samaritans were bad things. People didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like them because they were sort of half-breeds. And this Samaritan was a woman. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to even go back to Old Testament times. There are are Middle Eastern countries right now that see women as second-class people. Right? That's the way it was here. So this woman has two, this person has two strikes against her. She's She's a Samaritan and she's a woman. So here is a person that, that could, this is a situation that could be both racially charged and genderly charged. But Jesus loves this person anyway. See, the amazing thing about Jesus and the way that Jesus was a light is he wasn't only a friend of religious people, but he was a friend of rejected people. Listen, you don't have to go far in New York City to find people that clearly feel like they've been marginalized. To find people that feel like they're on the outside. Now you may be sitting here and go, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of them. <laughs> and I can relate. I mean, I, there are times in my life, as a kid especially, growing up, that I was highly insecure, highly afraid, felt like an outsider. And, and, and I'm sure that you probably have stories that are even worse than that. But no matter how bad my stories are or your stories are, there's somebody out there that's even worse. And the question is that we're not trying to have a fight as to who's the most rejected. We're trying to be like Jesus and love the rejected. We're trying to love people and be a friend to people who were rejected. Jesus was a light to this woman. He was a friend to her. How? How did he do it? Well, let me throw out some things to you, some things that we can do today. One, he talked to her. Verses 7 through 9, he talked to her. How often do you talk to people who are not in your realm? Who are not like you? How often do you do that? Strike up a conversation. Maybe they don't want to talk. Okay, that's fine. But don't let it be because you didn't initiate or you didn't reach out. Jesus just talked to her. And he treated her with respect. He didn't speak down to her. He spoke plainly to her. But he didn't mock her. He didn't make fun of her. He called her out for her five husbands, right? 
But even in that, he did it in a respectful and an honest and a straightforward kind way. He never became self-righteous. He gave her direct answers. He didn't say, well, 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 you're a Samaritan and a woman. I don't think you're going to understand what I'm going to tell you. No, he explained it. He gave her a very, even to the point, the most direct answer being, she said, yeah, I heard about this Messiah guy. And she goes, yeah, that's me. It's me. Like that communicates an incredible amount of respect when you just talk straight to people. He won her trust. That's how he was a light. How about you? Do people trust you? Are you a person of your word? Or do you say things and not follow through with it? Are you sensitive to other people's weaknesses? People who may struggle with things that you don't understand, or you can't relate to, or you've never, you know, you've never had trouble with. Are you at least sensitive to it? Or in your heart, do you look down on them? That's not like Jesus. Are you respectful or are you selfish to the rejected people? Do you give good, honest, godly answers or do you beat around the bush? Well, I don't think this will fit in your mind. I don't think you can understand the things I understand. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus spoke plainly and honestly. In short, do you build or do you destroy? Jesus was a friend of of the rejected because he won her trust by respecting her, talking to her, and giving her straight, honest answers. And you know what the, the response was in verse 39? I didn't even read that. Verse 39, the whole town came out. She went back and told people, and the whole town came out to see this guy. The whole town, one person treated with love and respect and dignity, changed the whole town. Because Jesus was the friend of the rejected. Finally, let's look at one more. Beginning in verse 43 of chapter 4. Verse 43, it says, After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet was with, was, has no honor in his, own, in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. For they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee. Where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. All right? Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that that was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. This is an amazing story. Here Jesus is not only a friend to the religious, not only is he a friend to the rejected, but he is also a friend to the respected. Not just the religious, 
not just the rejected, but also Jesus is a friend to the respected. Here is a man who is a royal official who has a serious problem. His son is sick. And for those, those of us who are parents, there is nothing that will humble you more than when something is not going well with your child. They don't even have to be physically sick. They can be spiritually sick, emotionally sick. It doesn't matter. If, some, if your, your child is struggling in some way, it humbles you. And as parents, you try to fix it. You try to do your thing. Sometimes you can't. And like this man, it drives you to Jesus. It forces you to go to God. So he comes to Jesus, humble, asking for help. And Jesus just said, hey, your son's going to live. The guy goes home, finds out his son is living, compares notes with the servants, finds out that he, his son was healed at the exact moment Jesus said it. Amazing story. Jesus was a friend to this man. But Jesus was his friend because but he was not intimidated by this guy. This guy was a royal official. Sometimes we get around prominent people, whether they're prominent in the community, prominent at your job, prominent at school, prominent in your building, I don't know, whatever their prominence is, sometimes we get around them and we get intimidated. We get afraid. We're like, ah, well, uh, it, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know what to say. You know, I understand this. I understand this. Years ago, I was, uh, when I was in college at SUNY Purchase, which is over in Westchester County, one time I was coming out, out from my class at the gym. I had a class, a swimming class. I was leaving. I came around the corner in the stairwell, and Patrick Ewing was standing right there. You know who Patrick Ewing is? Of course you do. Yes. Patrick Ewing was the superstar of the New York Knickerbockers back in the 1990s. He's actually the new coach for the uh, George, Georgetown Hoyas, the new head coach for the college basketball team. But the New York Knicks used to, I don't know if they still do, but they practiced at that facility at Sydney Purchase. And I came around the corner and there was Patrick Ewing standing right there in the stairwell. He was leaning over a, sta- a, a, a railing, looking out the window, covered in sweat. Clearly he had been exercising and he was just catching his breath. I came around the corner, I was like, hey, wow. And he's, he looked at me and I said, you're Patrick Ewing. <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah. And I was like, uh, cool. And I didn't, I was so scared. But first of all, he's seven feet tall, right? And I'm like, uh, uh, awesome, man. And I just stood there, right? And I like, I was like, uh, I was so intimidated by this guy. But I thought, I gotta invite this guy to church. This is totally God. I cannot run into Patrick Ewing and not at least invite him to church. And so I mustered up my courage and I was like, uh, uh, you know, hey, I go to this great church, um, you know, the New York City Church of Christ. You want to go? And he's like, no. And I was like, cool, man. No, no, that's totally cool. That's cool, man. Whatever. Yeah, that's totally cool. Whatever. So like, I was like, I was like, cool. And then I did the worst thing possible. I just stood there. I was like, he's like, he's like looking at me, and I'm like, where's in this stairwell? And then I was like, can I, can I get you a drink or something? Because he's covered in sweat. And he's like, no. I mean, he said like three words the whole time. I was like, alright, that's cool. No, no, I won't get you a drink. No, no, I'm sure you got people, you know, get you, ah, yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Anyway, dude, alright, man. I was like, cool, man, alright. And I'm like, <laughs> and he's just staring at me. I'm like, alright, cool. Alright, cool, man. Alright. And I, <laughs> I just, I was so, that's what happens. You get around certain people and they intimidate us. 
We get choked up. They're just people. They're just people. But it happens sometimes. Jesus wasn't intimidated by prominent people. Jesus was a friend of this guy because he understood this. He, he met this guy's need, but he also understood this guy's greater need, which was to have faith. And the Bible says that after his son was healed, the whole household had faith. Even people who intimidate you need God. Does somebody intimidate you? Somebody at work? Somebody at school? Somebody in the neighborhood? Some, the guy at the del I don't know. Is there somebody? You get around them, you're like, uh, I mean, they got such, such a nice shirt. There's no way they can need God, you know? Look at those shoes. They got it all together. Clearly. The truth is, everybody needs God. Everybody does. And Jesus was not afraid of people who were prominent. He was a friend of them. And he loved them as people. And did not worship them as idols. We've got to be like Jesus. We are the light of the world. It's inspiring when disciples are the light. I'm going to close out with this story. This is a great facility that we're in right now. This is St. Francis School for the Deaf. The reason why we're in this facility, well, one, because MS-113, where we normally meet, is not available in the whole month of August. But the reason why we're here is because uh, Wally and Tara, their son, goes to school here. And they know the principal. And she's not here tonight, the principal, uh, but um, Wally gave me her number, and I gave her a call, and I explained who I was, explained about the church, uh, mentioned Wally and Tara, said they're members of the church, I got your name from them. I said, we, we don't own a church building, we do a lot of overseas mission work, so we use our money in other ways, instead we rent facilities, and our place, the, the public school we normally use, is not available. Would you be willing to let us use your place? And she said, yes, I would be able to. I, I would be willing. And, and she explained what they had. And we worked out a time when I'd come and tour the facility just to make sure it would work for our needs. And, uh, and then I asked her, I asked her the big question, how much do you charge? And she said, well, how much do you normally pay? And I said, well, this is, you know, this is probably going to, you're not going to like what I tell you because over at the other uh, public school that we rent on Wednesday nights, we pay $300 a night for everything. Now, if you've ever tried to rent a facility in anywhere in Brooklyn, that, that's outrageously low. I mean, you know, prices around here start at like thousands of dollars for one night of renting some thousands. But we pay $300 a night at MS-113. So I said, oh, you're not going to like this, but it's $300 a session. And she goes, oh... Ooh. And I remember thinking, I was on the phone and I'm praying and I'm thinking, oh God, here it goes. Uh, God, please, please God. I'm praying. In my mind, I'm like, she's going to tell me there's, there's no way. She thinks for a second. She comes back and she said, well, I'm going to charge you $100. And I said, I said, uh, I said, uh, are you sure? She goes, yes. You know why? Because I really like Wally and Tara. She goes, they're sitting right back over there. She says, they are amazing. She said, she said, they help us. 
She said something about how you guys recommended them for something. I don't know what that was. You guys helped them with something. She goes, they always come to the events and they're always moving chairs afterwards. You know, they're always cleaning up. And I sat there listening to her thinking, oh, they're just being disciples. But I thought I was so proud. I was like, yes, that is a light shining in darkness. That's an example of it right there. And I was like, $100. I said, are you sure? I, I even said, I, I, you know, I did the wrong thing. I was like, we can pay more. Because I was like, I'm like, you want me? I can negotiate your, your, your situation too if you want. Uh, I was like, no, we can get one. She goes, no, 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 no. $100. So we're paying $300. Maybe I shouldn't be announcing this. But we're paying for the whole, all month, for our, all three sessions. The, I mean, yeah, that's amazing. So all of that because two people were being disciples of Jesus. They weren't doing anything that you know that they don't already do. They were just being the lights that we all are called to be. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be a friend to the religious, to the rejected, and to the respected. Let's be the lights of the world. Amen. Thank you.